Thanks for tuning in to McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast need to check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. And we're back. My name is Mike McNamara, and coincidentally enough, this is McNamara on Money. My co-host and sidekick and business partner, Kirk Reed, is with me this morning, Zooming. And the subject... Yeah, I love that. I love it. Uh, And the subject is we're dispensing different little tidbits of financial wisdom that pop up in media articles. We'll point out the good ones and say it's a good idea, and we'll point out the bad ones and say it's a bad idea. That's what we do, and hopefully there's some some things that can be learned and change your life a bit given the circumstances. Okay, we talk about Roth IRAs, okay, and basically, I want to just finish up on those a little. The vast majority of folks listening to me probably shouldn't do a Roth IRA, okay? They are appropriate for some people in some situations. I think... At the risk of sounding political, by the way, my definition of political is to criticize the government in general, not particular parties. But when Roth IRAs were created, okay, it's an example of, I guess, the government trying to do some good. But the problem with it is that the people who can qualify to do a Roth IRA, there are income restrictions. People with higher income who are in higher tax brackets don't qualify to do a Roth IRA. People in lower tax brackets do. Wait a minute, Roth IRAs aren't so good for folks, for most folks in lower tax brackets. And so I think it's ironic, I could use a few other terms to describe it, that this wonderful program, basically, for the people for whom it would work, they can't qualify, and for the people who can do it, it might not be in their best interest most of the time. I think that's a little strange, okay, but that's just how it works. I could go into a conspiracy theory that the government just wants to make you pay taxes now when you do a Roth IRA, but I'll leave that one alone. I'll leave that one alone. Very quickly, a couple of circumstances that where Roth IRAs might make some sense for some people. Okay, we have some folks who are fortunate enough so that when they retire, they can delay Social Security for a year or two or three because they have a pot of money that they can draw from. It might be their official retirement plan or it might be some cash they saved. It depends. But by the way, that's not a high percentage of people on the planet, by the way. But for folks who retire okay, and don't show much income, if you're living off of your savings account, if you have 100000 or $200,000 you've saved in cash outside of a retirement plan, if you can live on that for two years, you don't have a tax bracket. Your tax bracket is bupkis. Okay, if you don't collect Social Security, you're not working and you're living off of your savings for a year or two. In those that year or two, if your tax bracket's zero, that's a great time to throw a few bucks in a Roth IRA because you can beat the government. If you can convert a, a Roth IRA and pay only 10%, you're probably going to save a few bucks when you start taking money out later on. So to do a Roth IRA conversion, that's the technical term, in a year when you have 
a low tax bracket, yeah, that, that makes sense for a part of your money, but it's not for everybody all the time, given the circumstances. And then my last comment before I throw it over to Kirk is that it, it's early to tell Kirk, but I don't know, I would like to know the uses of Roth IRAs across the country. M- my comment is people who have Roth IRAs, Either they use them up very first in retirement to keep their tax bracket low, or they never touch them and their kids are real happy to inherit a tax-free retirement account. I would love to see which road is traveled most for folks down the road, because I think that would help us in terms of making some recommendations for folks. We ask them personally, okay, Kirk, I'm through with Roth IRAs. What are your comments? Yeah, as far as the conversions go, that scenario that you laid out, I agree that makes sense and we have a handful of clients that we do that for but as far as far as people we work with that there aren't that many that applies to that have have a bunch of cat you know or have a cash that they can live off of and not have any other income if that's your if that's your case then yeah that is potentially a good idea to, to convert some money particularly if if you do a projection or a plan and see that down the road when you turn 73 and you're going to be forced to take distributions from your IRAs and that's going to put you in a higher tax bracket, then yeah, that makes a lot of sense to do that. Get some money out at a lower tax bracket and also reduce those those required distributions down the road when they're gonna have to pay taxes on. Wow, uh, yeah. Just to do it because you heard somebody else said it's a good idea, it's not always a great idea. Yep. It just, it really depends on your particular circumstance and tax bracket. And I think, I think sometimes you have to do a little bit of math to, to confirm whether or not it's a good idea. All righty. Let's see here. Okay, here we go. Pick pick one. Oh, you know what? I oh. had one other thing. Yep. Regarding, you said about who, who's eligible. Yep. But now, you know, the, if, you're, if your 401k offers a Roth, there is no income limitations on that. Oh, yeah. That's right, too. Yeah. I just don't understand that. Yeah. You know, so if you're part of a 401k and you can put money in as a Roth contribution, the IRS doesn't look at your income to determine whether or not you can do that. Whereas if you just want to do a Roth contribution on your own for $6,000 a year or whatever it is, you have to be under a certain amount. And I just, I don't understand. Too many rules, too many laws, too many regulations. Gets a little confusing once in a while, doesn't it? Holy cow. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that one. But All right. You know. Roth IRAs, for most of you listening, don't get too excited about them. They're probably not appropriate, but that's a generic comment. Don't, or don't do anything without talking to your financial advisor. Okay, here we go, Kirk. Let's see. Pick one of these three. Vanguard answers. Should you invest all at once or spread it out? I'm terrified of draining my savings to pay off loans. Why do financial gurus recommend this? Fearful millennials missed stock market rally with shift to cash. What do you like? What was the first one? The first one was Vanguard Answers. Should you invest all at once or spread it out? Let's do that one. All righty. Let me push this button. Hope this shows up here. Son of a gun. Okay, so this is an article from those smart asset folks. They're getting a lot of press these days. Jeez, yeah, you're yeah, yeah you're giving them lots of free press. I, um, but I'm also picking on them. Okay, uh, okay true. Patrick true. Villanova. Hey, any, any publicity is good publicity, right? <laughs> yep. Patrick Villanova, April 26th. Should you invest all at once or spread it out? Okay. 
A financial windfall like an inheritance or salary bonus can be a wonderful opportunity for investing. But what's the best way to invest your newfound wealth all at once or little by little? New research from Vanguard suggests that you're often better off investing a lump sum compared to taking the more methodical approach of incrementally investing your money. Investment and wealth planning strategists from Vanguard found that lump sum investing outperformed dollar cost averaging nearly two-thirds of the time between 1976 and 2022. Here's a closer look at the research and what it can mean for you. Okay, you go first this time. I think, I'm not saying that I disagree with that, but you know, I think it depends on the time frame too, as far as yep. when you do your math or when you look backwards and do that. But I think to me, there's a bigger issue, and that's just the, the psychological component. It's a huge issue. Bigger doesn't even go close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because if you put if you put it all in as a lump sum, and then and then the markets immediately go down, which there's a fairly good chance that could happen. Yep. And then you start you, you second guess what you did, and hopefully not, but maybe even to the point of where you maybe pull some money back out because you're like, oh man, I just lost a chunk of what I just put in. Versus versus putting it in over time, where if you put some in and it goes down, I still have a bunch left in cash. And the math is one thing, but the the psychological component is almost as equally as important, I think. Yeah, it pr- probably more so for many. Good point. So, yeah, so my take is very similar to yours. So here's the deal, folks. By the way, that two-thirds is actually 68% over the last 50 years, which is a pretty, that's like almost 70. It's close. Anyway, but the yeah. bottom, as financial advisors, okay, there's no right or wrong between those two. It's, it's our job to explain to folks, look, if you do it this way, here's what's going to happen. If you do it that way, here's what's probably going to happen. But you've got to choose this according to your comfort levels, okay? If the odds say that 68% of the time you'll make money closing your eye and putting it, lumping it in, by the way, those are what the odds are. But if we're sitting in the middle uh, of a miserable stock market and the world is coming to an end, it's slightly difficult to take that jump, okay, and just toss it all at once for most people. So cho- choosing the lump sum, psychologically, there's a better chance people would choose a lump sum at the top of a market than at the bottom of a market. And where's that going to end up? Okay, to your point about the psychology of things. So it's really... It's really what people are comfortable with. And okay, Mr. Client or Mr. Potential Client, if you're going to do the lump sum and you're 68 years old, that's a no-no because, you know, you may invest it at the wrong time. Okay. My people, you can quote me on this. There's no bad time to invest if you have a long enough time. Okay, and that's a fuzzy statement I understand, but to Kirk's point earlier, if you're going to lump sum an investment, okay, you don't know whether it's a good or a bad time to do that, but if you can get through a couple of market cycles, it won't matter, okay, because of the way the math works, but getting a couple of market cycles, maybe seven or eight or nine years, and how many people can get comfortable or see how that works, okay? So we give people choices. If they ask us to make a recommendation, we'll make a recommendation of the two. Anytime I've ever had that discussion with anybody, I say, this is your comfort level, okay? If we're sitting in the middle 
okay, of a terrible market, okay, and these folks don't seem to be particularly phased and they're 20 years away from retirement, okay, if they ask, I'd say, yeah, kick you towards the lump sum because history says you have a chance to recover. That wouldn't be the same answer for a 62-year-old, you know, given the circumstances, okay? But the other side of that is if you choose dollar cost averaging by putting it in over a period of time, okay, you may or may not do as well compared to lumping it, okay? You might do better, you might do worse, okay? But the point about the dollar cost averaging is that it's comfortable. People are a lot less intimidated by getting their money wet, spreading it out over a few periods of time as opposed to lumping it in. So it's a, there's no right or wrong answer to that because nobody knows the future about what your money's gonna do, but there are financial circumstances that would lead people to one versus the other, but there are emotional and psychological issues that may lead people to one to the other, and they may not agree. Your financial circumstances, you may be 24, okay, and you don't wanna lump it, or you may be 68, okay, and you do. You're right. You got to reconcile their financial situation with their comfort levels. And from my point of view, okay, as long as they get their money invested, I don't care whether they lump it or scale it in. It's how comfortable they are and how much time they have. Anything else on that? I think these are just repeats, but yeah, I think it's what's your time frame and what's your comfort level? And can you truly close your eyes for 10 years and not look at it? Yeah. And yeah. I think most people, the answer would be no. For for folks we've worked with for a long time, it's an easier discussion because they've been through the wars a few times. But for a relatively new client, that's a tricky discussion. And the, from a person's perspective, when you start an investment program strategy, okay, you're at risk for having poor returns the first few years of that strategy because you never know when a bear market's going to come. I'm extremely comfortable saying that if you started in a bad time, okay, which would be the top of a market, that's if you started at a bad time, which was a good time, and all of a sudden you lump summed it and your money went down 15 or 20% the next year, okay, that wouldn't make you feel good. Okay, but if you could get through two down markets and two up markets, and nobody knows how long that takes, but I'll use an average of maybe seven or eight or nine years, which is a long time. It doesn't much matter whether you lump summed it or whether you scaled it in. It, it honestly doesn't from because things have a way of evening out over a long enough time. So my strongest point is whatever they do, which is most comfortable to get their money involved, is the best part. You got to get it wet. You got to get started somehow. And for a lot of folks, it's easier to do the dollar cost averaging. But yeah, the psychology is exactly opposite. The best time to do that is the worst time in the markets. And the worst time to do that is the best time in the markets from a lump. It's, it doesn't make sense. So people just have to understand it and choose. That's all. Okay. I'm gonna- I'm going to wait till things get better. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, dollar cost averaging it, which is the normal choice in a down market, is a lot better than sitting on the cash and waiting for things to move up before you. Th- th- thank you. Yeah. But when people say that, explain that, Kirk. Just show, explain the circumstance. Thank you for that. Go for it. I'm going to. 
I'm going to wait till things get more expensive. <laughs> and then that sounds like a good idea. Let me see. So the stock market is, I'll make up a number. We're at 33000 right now. Okay. And you're worried about it going down. Okay. So let's see. So when things get better, is it going to be more expensive or less expensive in your definition? Let's see. If things, if the, when things get better, that means they're going to wait for the markets to go up. And yeah, they're more expensive. Things really getting better for a person with money is when they go down because you can mm. buy it cheap, but that doesn't compute, right, for most folks. Get, yeah, that's right. If you have yeah. cash to invest, things are quote-unquote better when they're cheaper, right? <laughs> yeah, but I don't think I like that. <laughs> you don't like that? Mm, okay. All right. Well, I'll have to have a sidebar with thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I need a little counseling there. Okay. All right. Let's see here. All right. Let's see. All right. Here we go. So, <clears throat> Bad news, too many people are cashing out of their 401k plans. Default fears spur demand for one-month treasuries. U.S. default on debt would trigger an economic catastrophe. Pick one. The third one may or may not generate phone calls. <laughs> yeah, you've been shying away from the more exciting ones, Kurt, but I'm okay with that. We're fine. So pick I don't one. know. What do you like? The first one, it, ha- it says bad news in the title. All so right, so we'll go that, with that one? Yeah, I think that's appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Kirk, we're only through five or six of 30 of these, okay? <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's see where this one is from. Okay, Smart Asset again. Boy, those guys, yeah, those guys are, so what they do, folks, is they call up financial advisors and say, hey, we can send you some clients, and then we pay them, and they pay us, and this is what they do to make money. But by the way, they put out some pretty good stuff. I'll give them credit, because they're trying to uh, attract folks who are concerned about stuff. I'm okay with that. It's free country. You can do what you want. Anyway. so are they like a referral service? Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They, they, okay. If they say, if we accepted an, a, a, a client from them, they would want a piece of the fee that we charge them. That's so that's where they're coming from, by the way. Okay. Yeah, and again, I suppose we could get into. Let's see. So who wrote the article? What are their biases? What are their educations? And hey, do you believe everything you read? But I'm not even going there. We're just talking about the meat and potatoes here. Okay, this is a fellow by the name of Ben Geller, who apparently works for Smart Asset or subcontracts to them. Bad news, too many people are cashing out their 401k plans. Wait a minute. If there's a whole bunch of people in that survey at the beginning of the show that think they're a good place to retire, and here's a whole bunch of people cashing out their 401ks before they retire. Let me think about that. When leaving a job, there are a lot of things you have to remember to do when you leave. Clean out your desk, say goodbye to your coworkers, and pack up your secret stash of candy, for instance. Another thing you have to do, of course, is take care of your retirement plan. There are several options, and according to a new study from Harvard Business Review, too many people are choosing to completely drain their account and take it in cash. There are a number of reasons, yeah, uh, why this is not the best option for dealing with retirement funds from a company you are leaving. Okay, so uh, we could, uh, I'll read a little bit more later, but okay, this is pretty uncomplicated, folks. Okay, there is some percentage of folks who are not yet officially retired, okay, who when they change jobs, 
have an opportunity to either transfer their money to a new 401k at the new work and keep their retirement nest egg going, okay, or transfer it to a financial advisor who can manage it in some kind of an IRA, or you can manage it yourself, or you can take the money, pay taxes, and spend it on something. And apparently, there's a fair chunk of people who are doing that, and it's pretty simple. When somebody does that, let's take a guess of what the reasons are. They might do that to pay off a charge card. They might do that to pay off some debts that they built up or whatever. If you mess with your retirement nest egg and take money out before you retire, I think it would be a really good idea for you to know how much that might affect your official retirement plan if you ever had one. And if you did take it out, you probably wouldn't have an official retirement plan. But a whole bunch of people are doing that. Kirk, your comments. Yeah, (laughs) I would say 99.9% of the time, that's not a good idea to cash it out. But I think if you just, if you even just sat down and did the math and what you know, what the tax ramifications were. I yeah. think a lot of people would be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's not yeah. a good idea. Yeah, by the way, with this is perfect. I got about 30 seconds. The high, okay, here's the data. Of 160,000 employees in the United States between 2014 and 2016, 41.4% cashed out at least some of their 401k balance when leaving a job. Furthermore, 85% of those people took the entire balance. That's frightening. We'll end on that note and take a break. This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. We're back. My name is Mike McNamara. This is McNamara on Money on this fine spring weekend. My co-host, sidekick and business partner, Kirk Reed, is with me this morning via Zoom. But I shouldn't say that so that people think you really went to work in the studio this morning or something. Right, Kirk? As opposed to... I I, I don't care. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) I had to drag myself... Come on, it's a Saturday. It's all right. You don't have to be in the office. I had to drag myself for two miles. Everybody works from home these days. Yeah, there you go. I drove a whole two miles to the studio this morning, so it's one of those things, Kirk. I'm jealous. What can I tell you? All right, I know... Tim actually does go to the office. Sorry about that, Tim. Oh, no, don't. Please, don't worry about it. (laughs) Folks, we're uh, distributing financial tidbits raised by media articles that got my interest over the last couple of weeks. And we just finished up with one. Kirk, I did a little math. So of that survey of 160,000 people, okay, who took money out of their retirement plans before they retired, okay, 34% of those people took the entire amount of money. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah, okay. That was 85%. Of the 41% that took money, 85% of the 41, that's basically 34, 35%. So one third of people changing jobs, okay, take the money. And I'm absolutely sure they take it most likely because they're got a charge card bill they want to pay off or a car loan or they're living above their means and or they want to redecorate the bathroom or something. Folks, the vast majority of folks in America have a challenge to retire with the nest egg that you have. If you're going to take money out of it before you actually retire, 
yes, I understand you have to live now and avoid paying off the... God knows the circuit, the reasons why people would do that, and some of them are probably survival type. So I make no judgments, but if you have to do that, it just increases the degree of difficulty later on in life when you retire. And if you can avoid that or if you knew about that, you might choose differently. That's all. That's the lesson. We'll try to move on. <clears throat> okay, Kirk, pick one. Yeah, I just done that one. I was just going to say, like on that survey, it's hard to know if somebody only has a couple hundred bucks in there. And that's yeah. okay. Yeah. That's, no, that's, that's, I, that's okay. I understand. But the point is, it's a dangerous thing to do. And you need to think about it for most folks in most situations. That would be my comment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Okay. Here we go. Some good news. If you inherit property, you don't pay taxes automatically. This is who should consider getting a transfer on death deed by the end of the year. Biden rule will redistribute high-risk loan costs to homeowners with good credit. All right. You want me to go with the third one? No, nope, you can pick anyone you want. This is your special day. <laughs> Okay. I don't know. You were trying to like in, put influence on me the last time. I'm leaving that alone. Which one do you want to talk about? <laughs> That's fine. We'll try the third one. Okay. Let me get zoomed in. Okay. All right. So this is Fox News. Okay. Uh, oh. There you go. Already this is sounding dicey, right? Okay. Folks, we're just going to talk about math. Not anybody behind the math or any outfit. Just get over that before we even get started. Biden rule will d redistribute high-risk loan costs to homeowners with good credit. Okay. A Biden administration rule is set to take effect that will force good credit home buyers to pay more for their mortgages to subsidize loans for higher-risk borrowers. Experts believe that borrowers with credit scores of about 680 would pay around $40 per month more on a $400,000 mortgage under the rules from the Federal Housing Finance Agency that go into effect May 1st. The costs will help subsidize people with lower credit ratings also looking for a mortgage, according to a Washington Times report. Okay, now this is a quote from Fox News, folks. The changes do not make sense, penalizing borrowers with larger down payments and good credit scores will not go over well. And I'll just leave it at that. Kirk, you go first. Are the phones blown up or no? Okay. <laughs> no, and we're, I'm talking about a concept. I don't care who spawned it, but anyway, I'm sticking oh, okay. with the concept. Yeah, no, I think anybody that's been responsible doesn't like the idea of being penalized for being responsible. There you go. Yeah. And the intended consequences of this are a little scary from my point of view. You punish folks who are responsible who've got good credit scores, who've maybe sacrificed and done this in their life and that in your life and try to live within their means, and maybe you're encouraging folks who haven't, okay, yeah. or rewarding them. I just have a problem with the concept. I don't care who yeah. authorized it. It's, and it, it's, it's too, a weird, yeah, it's so weird. Uh, yeah, thanks, uh, thanks for doing the right thing. Yeah. That, here's your yeah. reward. Okay, and here's your reward. Yeah, exactly. I, I just, I, I have a problem with that. It's what it, 
what it encourages, I think, is a bad thing, but we just could go from there. We had, I think, I talked with Sharon McNamara the other night, and it'd be interesting to get some reactions from her and her business as a realtor in terms of how people feel about that, because it goes into effect basically next week in terms of how that works. Whatever. Okay. Uh, and that's effective on new loans? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I... I I, I, there are a number of other areas over there. I, I think we're heading down, I don't know. There, there are a number of government things happening from both parties, okay, that I think encourage people to be less responsible and, and yeah, I, I and more dependent. I guess that's the thought, and I'll leave it at that. But let's see. You're rewarding people who've lived within their means, save some money, have a good credit score, okay, by punishing them, okay, and you're... For folks who perhaps have not lived their lives as well, financially speaking, in stability, okay, perhaps you're encouraging and you're saying that's okay. You don't have to worry about stuff like that, whatever. Okay, moving along. Okay, let me put that one in the hopper. I wonder how long that goes on, but we shall see. Wait a minute, yeah. Kirk. I got to shut this one down, make sure I get it off the list so I don't repeat it. Just give me a second here. I'm almost there. There. I'm filing these away, so next week I won't... Oh, the next time we do the show. I think we should continue this. Okay, next time we do the show, I don't want to rehack something here. Okay. How about, can we pick on Gen Z millennials for a minute? Can we do that? Sure. Okay, you ready? Okay. You're, pick, you're picking. My pick, just one. Just one. All I, right. I get a okay. chuckle out of this one. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> okay. Gen Z and millennials are so broke, they're ruining their parents' retirements. No oh boy. Okay. That was from Fortune magazine, no less. Okay. And Megan Leonhart is the author, and that was April 11th. And by the way, it's a four-minute read, I'm told here on Yahoo. But anyway, <clears throat> a majority of U.S. parents have made financial sacrifices to set their adult children up for success many times at the expense of their own savings, okay? Nearly 7 in 10 parents, 68% with children 18 or older, have made at least one financial sacrifice to help out their kids, according to a recent bank rate rate survey. Okay, now where am I going with this? Okay, the most, okay, now this is, okay, millennials and Gen Z have both faced major economic events at tenuous times in their lives that have created financial challenges. The Great Recession and the global pandemic respectfully. Additionally, many younger Americans also dealt with skyrocketing home prices and student loan debt at some point or even throughout their 20s. Okay, okay, I've I've often said, and this is just a piece of it, that I think we baby boomers have been a bit on the selfish side and have not left the world in as good a place for our kids, okay, as our parents did for us. I sincerely feel that. That's just a humble opinion, okay? And yeah, okay, here is our younger generation. I forget the age ranges and really don't much care. Younger folks, okay, are having a difficult time of it. And some of that mess we made in these experiences have colored their their actions and their behaviors, okay? They're, they don't 
I th that goes back to the college thing. We could connect this to a whole bunch of financial issues. If you're out of college and you're not earning what you hope you earn, and you're so broke that there's a, a chain of dominoes. I don't know what the percentages are of living with parents or depending on parents for money. Okay, P part of that's our fault. Okay, for sure. I'm speaking about the boomers, but it just this is a sign of how things are. And you have to wonder what it looks like a few generations beyond that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's only time will tell. The According to Investopedia, yeah. let's see, millennials were born 81 to 96. Okay. And Gen Z was 97 to 2012. Yeah, okay. To get back, to, so the most common financial hit we're talking about for parents now, emergency savings. Over half of the parents surveyed say they've dipped into their savings to help their adult children with one in five making significant sacrifices. Nearly half of those parents have also put off paying down debt to provide support. And more than two in five parents reported helping at the expense of their retirement savings. Two in five parents, that's 40%, by the way, mm. folks. <clears throat> Overall, about 16% of parents reported significantly pu putting off hitting other financial milestones in order to prioritize their children's financial needs, okay? That's a pretty sad story, okay? Let's see, I'll read a little bit more. It explains why the financial support from parents goes on long after children officially hit adulthood at the age of 18. Across generations, the consensus age range, Americans believe children should start paying their own way at between 20 and 23. Bank rate finds, perhaps surprisingly, Gen Z typically believes parents should fund expenses like bills and insurance until at least the age of 21, while baby boomers tend to believe that children should be responsible for those types of expenses two full years earlier. I guess we're getting into the discussions here about what goes on. But, but bottom line is that younger folks are having a more difficult time, okay, than their parents did, than we did, okay, and... Our, my parents' generation left us boomers in pretty good shape. I'm not sure if we're being nice to our kids and our grandkids, and we're starting to see some implications of that, not all of which were caused by the millennials and the Gen Xers and the Gen Zs or whatever you want to call them. The thing. So anyway, it's a tough thing, but we have seen in our own practice numerous circumstances of parents making financial sacrifices to various degrees to help out their children or in trouble living above their means, can't get a job, whatever the circumstances are. That's just not a good sign of the overall health of our economy or the country in general. And I think that's just sad from my point of view. Anything mm -hmm. else on that, Kirk? I, just a gener generic kind of a thing. Yeah, like you mentioned earlier about what what future generations might look like and who knows, but it's, do you think maybe it's going to be like cycles, like cyclical, Yeah, maybe previous generations were maybe a little bit stricter yeah. on, on their children and but also teaching good lessons good life lessons and yeah. uh, but maybe along the way those kids felt maybe they felt that it was too tight or too strict and so yeah, then they start loosening up on their kids yeah. and maybe and then maybe we'll go that way for a little bit and then maybe maybe yeah we'll start to see problems and then they'll switch back to the other way I, that that would i would hope that 
that would be the case, but I don't see that happening. I, I, my, my point is that I think that our country and the economy and people's financial situations in general, okay, it has not been improving. And I think that goes back to the way that the country is run by the government, generically speaking. I, I did a little, just a little tiny bit of research, which anybody can do with Google, okay, but in, and, and again, I think this connects, so I'm going to connect this, okay? By the way, that in 2022, Kirk, okay, the federal government had expenses of $6.27 trillion, okay? Yeah. Okay, in 2022, the federal government had revenue of $4.9 trillion. Let's Wait see, a second. So, Wait a second. Yeah, so the income was $6.27 trillion. I'm sorry, the expenses were $6.27 trillion. Okay, the income was $4.9 trillion. We had to borrow the rest. By the way, the federal government borrowed $1.38 trillion in calendar, in fiscal year 2022. That's 22% of their expenses. Okay, I think the government, okay, is not setting a good example about living within their means. And yeah. by the way, if 20, if, how would anybody listening to me feel if you had to borrow 22% 22% of your expenses every year? Where, I, 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 yeah, it, yeah that, that's the point, right? It's every year. Yeah, yeah, every year and <laughs> it adds up. It, okay, With no plan of getting, it, it, exactly. of, of stopping that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and by the way, just paying interest because it gets bigger. And so right, the government, all parties, all years, debt, three Three point nine thirty point nine three trillion, okay, for twenty twenty two. That's eight. The payments of interest on that for twenty twenty two, okay, are eight percent of the government's expenses. Okay, in twenty twenty three, the payments for interest on the debt will be fourteen percent of the government's expenses. By the way, that's six hundred and forty billion dollars. Okay, okay. So the, our government is borrowing money to support us. Okay, it's only paying interest on the debt. It hasn't paid it down. It's growing exponentially. Okay, at some point, I, I think uh, Armageddon is a very strong word, but we're as a country we're living above our means, and having to literally borrow twenty two percent of your expenses, where do you get that money from? You get that from paying taxes and you get that from, you know, e e either you cut down government services or you increase taxes even more, but we're not breaking even, we're not running our life as a country very well, and we're suffering as a result of that. P part of the problems we have, the generations, are caused by a government that is literally expanding and living beyond its means. I don't know where that ends, but it's scary. So think there's going to be so much, okay, so much, if, if rising taxes, okay, or less services in the future, okay, mean lifestyle goes down. I'm not sure how you can over, overcome that in the generations. Yeah, maybe it's a cycle, but the cycle gets more difficult if the financial circumstances are difficult to exist and continue to go that way. It's pretty, pretty frightening, actually. So I don't know where that ends up, Okay, uh, but it's just sad from my point of view. We'll move on from there. Okay, any cl closing comments on your, your point about that? I just want to 
I just want to close my eyes. Yeah, that's, yeah, sometimes I get to the same, same feeling. It's sad, actually. We need to, I, I don't know how you fix it either, but the, our inflation and our tax structure and the services the government provides that cost a whole bunch of money, we're used to it, but we're spending over our means. I don't know how that ends. By the way, there's been numerous examples of countries going out of business and bankruptcy and default and scary stuff over the years. You can that's never happened here. It's happened regularly throughout history. By the way, folks, if you get if you don't believe me, just Google inflation in Venezuela, okay, as an example of a country that's not very good about managing its finances, that's been in trouble for a whole long time, unfortunately. I we're sneaking towards that situation. And if we don't somehow figure out how to fix all. I just don't know where it goes. It, it's easy to just do that. Okay, by the way, I, I will very quickly refer to an article, Argentina seeks to tame inflation with a rake out, rate hike. You know how the Federal Reserve is raising rates to, to tame inflation in our country? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, Kirk, are you sitting down? I am. You might want to lay down for this, okay? So okay. This is not, you might want to... Okay, Argentina seeks to tame inflation. Maybe, maybe, maybe I should stand up. With the biggest rate hike since 2019. This is from Reuters. Reuters, Reuters. Okay, Jorge Otiola, April 27th. Okay, th- this is absolutely mind-blowing. Okay, so f- our federal government has raised rates to 5% to slow down the economy. Okay, that's a generic statement. Here you mm-hmm. go, Kirk. Buenos Aires... Argentina's central bank hiked its benchmark interest rate at a huge 10 percentage points to 91%. That's a big number. Okay, so the government in Argentina has declared that lending rates are 91%. I'm quoting an article from Yahoo Finance. Okay, that is... We're at five and we're complaining that the economy's in trouble. Here's an example of a country that <clears throat> perhaps has not been run well, financially speaking. Okay, it is terrifying. By the way, the hike is the biggest since market meltdown in August 2019. Comes after the central bank had already lifted r- rates last week by 300 basis points, 3% to 81%. So it went from 81%. Okay, all the way up to 91% in, I don't know how long, it was weeks, given the circumstances. That's a country that's in a deep mess, okay? I don't see how we're impervious to that possibly happening sometime unless we mm-hmm. do something about it. So I guess, it's, so if you're going to retire down there, but you want to be a cash buyer. Yeah, it's... I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I just want to close my eyes to use to use your your phrase a little while ago. I don't know how you fix that, but it's depressing, and I don't know how you get elected saying we have to raise taxes or cut services. Okay, so it seems like there's like a natural impediment to getting our act together just by by the way we run things, and yeah, I, it's just sad. I, and you wonder do people start leaving? You know that country? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and where do you go? Yeah. yeah and do, they, do yeah. they even have the means to, to leave? Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. they're just stuck in that. Yeah. Yeah. How, how do you even deal with that? It's uh, okay. Let's see. All right. Let's see. How do I want to Okay. Here we go. Seven ways baby boomers are wasting money in retirement. Okay. Uh, how long will $800,000 last me in retirement? Survey 68%. 
have made financial sacrifice to help their adult children. That's another article. I made that one go away. Uh, but let me make that easy here. Hang on. What happens when you pay off your mortgage? Okay, so seven ways baby boomers are wasting money in retirement. How long will $800,000 last me in retirement? And what happens when you pay off your mortgage? Let's do the first one. The first one. Seven ways baby boomers are wasting money in retirement. Okay, here we go. We got three minutes to do this, so I guess I'm just going to have to listen. Let's, let's pick on the baby boomers. Yeah, well, absolutely. I, I, I'm merely stating facts. But anyway, so let's see here. This is from the. I can't believe I'm going to read this here. This is from oh, banking rate, banking rate. It's in Yahoo News. It's Jennifer Taylor, April fourteenth, twenty twenty-three. Okay, so the short story is. Here are the seven tips from financial experts, okay, to help identify ways you're wasting money in retirement and hopefully turn things around. Failing to plan vacations strategically. All right, that's one. Okay, buying expensive gifts. That's two. I have two minutes. Okay, overpaying for medical care. Paying bills for adult children. Thinking timeshare purchase is an investment. Oh, that's an interesting one. Applying for a loan to cover planned expenses in retirement. Whoops. Completing expensive home improvements projects. Pick one. Where do you want to start? We got about a minute to talk about one of those. Well, let's do timeshare. Okay. Well, ha- yeah. Folks, we'll have to continue this one in a couple of weeks. Many times I see clients attempt to explain how their timeshare is an investment. They will say their children can inherit it just like their IRAs or that it is a real estate on par with a rental property. However, this is rarely the case. Timeshares shouldn't be considered equal to stocks, bonds, or real estate. Plus, clients often stop using timeshares as they get as they age, but that doesn't stop maintenance and fees from increasing, and giving the keys back will just yield pennies on the dollar for the cost of ownership. Okay, some time chips. A timeshare's bad idea. That's how I would leave it. Folks, I, Kirk, I think we should continue this a couple of weeks from now. What do you think? I'm having way too much fun here. Okay? Sounds good. Folks, my name is Mike McNamara. And I'm signing off on myself and Kirk Reed. We'll repeat this again. The financial media, the good, bad, and the ugly in a couple of weeks. Talk to you soon. Signing off. 